Hello and welcome to the Activist Podcast, brought to you by Vegan FTA, Vegan for the Animals. I'm your host, Gareth Skur, and I'll also be joined by my wonderful co-host and wife, Jackie Norman. In this episode, we have the brilliant Tara Jackson. As Executive Director of the New Zealand Anti-Vivisection Society, Tara works tirelessly to bring what is happening to the animals in laboratories to the fore. Vivisection is often a topic people know of, but very little about. In this episode, Tara shares some of what's going on inside of these labs, but more importantly, why is it happening and why it needs to end? We learned so much from this episode and we hope you learn as much as we did. Be sure to check out our social media pages at VeganFTA on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube, where you can also find the series in video format. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tara. Uh, for our viewers around the world, can you tell us uh, just a little bit about you and what you do? Sure, kia ora, and thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you both today. And um, so, yeah, I'm Tara Jackson, and I'm the executive director of the New Zealand Anti Vivisection Society. And we're a non profit organisation that campaigns to end animal testing in Aotearoa. You've done some awesome things too, which we look forward to talking about. Um, we've heard you say in a past interview that you felt that you were on a path to veganism your whole life, really. Um, it's certainly been an interesting journey. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. I um, I don't think my journey is particularly special in any way. Like I, I think all vegans have their own story and journey, and it's probably very similar to that. And just that I've always loved animals, and even as a, a little girl, um, I just I I had this instinctive and innate belief that animals had their own right to life and deserved respect and love and uh, pretty early on knew that that wasn't the norm and that um, treating animals or exploiting animals was was normal and right from a young age I just knew that was wrong. Uh, So yeah when I think back to childhood I think of things like sneaking stray cats food and saving the garden snails from my dad and all those little things that I'm sure lots of kids (laughs) have had to go through in their lives. Um, But I think the more I've grown up and the more I've learned, the stronger my passion for animals has become. And obviously, as you get older, you have more power to actually create change. I hope to dedicate my life, pretty. I hope to dedicate my life to helping animals and ending the exploitation of animals. And uh, So yeah, that's, a really quick summary of my journey is loving animals, going to school, being known as the animal girl, uh, you know, back when I was vegetarian at school, trying to get the school cafe to use free range eggs and uh, that stemmed on to university where I studied zoology. I thought that was the best thing to study to learn more about animals and then um, ended up working for Greenpeace afterwards and doing internships with Greenpeace and the Green Party and that's where I really developed my love of campaigning and uh, coming into the world of NZAVS as the campaigner and now the executive director and I'm, I'm sure it will just keep continuing as I find you know the most effective ways of trying to help animals. Yeah, that's mm. awesome. I um I heard it was actually um Dr. Mike Joy, you were a student of his and uh, and he was the one that sort of opened your eyes to you know, why we should be vegan rather than vegetarian. Yes, so I um, I studied environmental science as well as zoology and he uh, he gave one of my lectures and he gave a lecture on 
the environmental, the negative impacts on the environment of the dairy industry. And it was like the most influential 50 minute lecture I've ever had in my life. So I, this is before I knew about um, bobby calves and, you know, what actually happens to the animals. When I learned about what happened to the environment, I, I just couldn't unlearn that. So right from that day, I stopped um, having dairy. So yeah, it was, um, it was, that is Oksana trying to play fight. So I'm just going to put her out. Sorry. <laughs> Hands up after I say it. <laughs> Come on. So um, as the executive director of the NZAVS, um, you're right, you're widely recognized as, you know, being someone at the forefront of liberating lab animals. Um, can you explain to us, um, in previous interviews, you talked about this whole concept that they use of um, comparing complex systems with another complex system. And um, it seems quite a r ridiculous thing to apply to humans. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So it's, it's a side of animal experimentation a lot of people don't think of. So instinct, instinctively, people are like, oh, animal experimentation is cruel. But people don't have that same connection with the scientific issues with, with using animal models. So we all, I think we all know it deep down. I mean, we all know not to feed our dogs chocolate and we all know that when we're sick, we don't go to the vet, we go to a doctor. So, you know, we have, we do have this basic understanding that we're not the same as other species and we can't just swap out species for one another where we want. Uh, but I guess people just have this blind belief that researchers and scientists know better and that they're doing what's right. Uh, unfortunately, that's not true. You know, uh, 95 or over 95% of drugs that work in animal tests fail in humans. So it's it's got a very, very high failure rate. And, you know, that's seen with, that's seen throughout the history, really, of medical research. If you look at the systematic reviews and you see how many times it fails, I mean, it's it's always up there. It's always It's always like a hit and miss on whether or not Will respond in the same way in any given to any given animal. So I think the the easiest way to explain it is actually in reverse and say that there's actually no robust scientific evidence proving that animals reliably predict human outcomes. I mean that that doesn't exist. Um, yet we continue to use them in that manner because of the blind belief that they do. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I did a um. A the Cornell um, plant-based nutrition course recently and uh, you know awesome uh, Dr. T. Colin Campbell was was one of the main lecturers and he was saying that through all the years and decades of testing and things that he's done with the China study and all of these kind of things you know he would say there's no relevance you know how can you possibly compare the two there is it's just not reliable it's not accurate you know like you say it's been proven time and time again but um, I mean, people often identify animal testing with medical research and try and justify these horrific procedures in that way. Um, but we know that's not the truth. So um, what are the primary uses for animal testing? Yeah, so animals are used in that way in New Zealand. I mean, we do use animals to try and model um, human outcomes, but it definitely isn't the main use. Uh, the main use in New Zealand specifically is actually to try and enhance the animal agriculture um, industry, so trying to make it more productive or um, have less negative impact on the environment. So that's why we use so many cows in New Zealand, and cows are actually the number one used animals for research testing and teaching purposes here. 
and below that are the likes of you know sheep, mice, birds and fish and a lot of those uses are to do with the animal agriculture sector and trying to um, keep that going. It's just, it seems so horrible to me, you know, we're already exploiting and um, doing these horrible things to the animals, so then let's get more of them in to do it, to exploit yeah. them better. It's um... Cruelty on cruelty. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. basically, um, you know, we've we sort of heard things like, um, you know, in, in the simple act of somebody buying a, a, a beef burger when they're out, just an everyday burger, they're actually uh, inadvertently funding animal testing. They're supporting that. Hmm. I would love to see people view animal products in the same way that they view cosmetics that have been tested on animals. You know, you look for the, the cruelty-free bunny. Uh, that's, there's no cruelty-free bunny on, on animal products. I mean, for as long as there is an animal agriculture industry, there will always be a need for research to be conducted because, um, you know, scientists and farmers they want to keep using animals in this way because they want to keep making money. So they want to make sure they're using them in the most you know, profitable way. And um, they'll also want to or feel pressured to um, minimise the impact on the environment. So for, for as long as there's, you know, the use of animal products and the existence of their industry, there will continue to be animal testing for those products. So it, it goes hand in hand and they it directly impacts one another. So if you are 100% against animal testing, you know, you need to stop buying and um, supporting the animal agriculture sector. So. Uh, it's so true that, I, like we've touched on this already now that, you know, white cows are uh, one of the animals that get subjected to these testing and stuff like that. Um, through what you've known through your zoology and stuff and getting to see this uh, industry even more, were there any um, animals that really surprised you that were being used for testing? Like for me, when I found out um, alpacas and stuff like that, I I didn't think of why maybe hair curlers. I couldn't think of anything else you <laughs> test on them. <laughs> what you do know? you do with those? Poor <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the variety of animals that we use is so wide. I mean, with the exemption of, um, you know, non-human primates, uh, that I haven't seen happen in New Zealand for as long back as I've looked, but like every other species that I can think of on the top of my head, that I can think of on the top of my head, sorry, um, they have been used. So I guess fish is a big one. A lot of fish are used, um, which surprised me. And the way that they're used is, is bizarre. I mean, fish have it so rough. People just don't really consider them animals. I mean, you often hear people go, oh, I only eat fish. And it's like, oh, those poor fish, you know, they're at the bottom um, in terms of importance to people. And thousands and thousands of fish are used in New Zealand in experiments. And, you know, they'll do things like put different substances in the water and see what the effects are. You know, it's, I guess the second part of that is, um, you know, how much of that would shock the public because how, how important are fish to people? So... But more than um, more than the species and the type of animals being used, the, the part that really shocked me um, the most in this in in this journey of learning more is actually the industry itself, and learning that you know researchers and scientists and uh, representatives of the industry can admit that an animal test has no scientific value, and yet they can 
they they don't want to ban it or they don't want to end its use. So it's that that's the most surprising thing I think to me is that there is this um, admission of you know the animal model not working, and yet there's this huge hesitancy to do anything about it. You know, people are are too scared to offend other researchers or you know looking back at their um, careers, you know, they may have conducted a lot of animal experimentation themselves and built a lot of their, you know, academic prestige upon this. So it's, I think that part's really inter um, interesting and surprising is, you know, not wanting to let go of something so fiercely, even though you know it's wrong. It's insane, isn't it? And it's been going on for so long. I mean, oh, I remember I, I first went vegetarian. I grew up in the UK and, and uh, I went vegetarian when I was 13 um, when I heard about vivisection and what was happening to animals. And uh, I remember distinctly when I was at high school uh, in the 80s, you know, it was supposedly a, a highlight of our 14 year old science class um, that we got to dissect a frog. And um, and I didn't, you know, I refused to have anything to do with it, and, and so did some of the other students as well. But I mean, this unnecessary use of animals, like we didn't learn anything from it. We weren't, you know, we didn't have an assignment. There wasn't a project. It was just, oh, you know, here's a frog. You get to, you know, dissect it, kind of thing. It was so unnecessary, and that that still goes on in in educational facilities today. And yet, there are so many better options available. Um, what are the, some of the examples that you've come across that can help replace using actual animals? So yeah, you're right with dissections. I mean, there's so many amazing alternative methods out there that it, that would just be the easiest thing to replace, you know, tomorrow. Um, but unfortunately, animals are still, you know, killed and used for those purposes in New Zealand. Um, which, you know, that's embarrassing for us. It's it's just such a low level, basic thing, and we still can't even make that change. Uh, but when it comes to non-animal based research and testing methods, there are so many and you know there's things like microfluidic devices and organs on chips with actual human cells and tissues inside, inside. there's uh, sophisticated computer models, there's, there's just so many different types of methods out there um, which I think is amazing considering all the odds that have been stacked up against the development of these methods so you know the the outdated laws and the way funding is distributed and um, outdated mindsets and egos and all of that kind of thing, they're all pushing research in this one direction, that's animal experimentation. So even with all of that happening, there's still these amazing uh, non-animal based methods popping up, which you know I think is incredible. Uh, but just imagine, imagine what the world would look like if we shifted all of our funding into only viable and humane of research and testing methods and trying to find out more. I mean, we, we would just have a wealth, like a huge variety of research methods. And I truly believe that if we did do that, um, the, the world would look very much, very different now. I mean, we'd probably have a lot more um, usable treatments and drugs for people who are suffering if, if we only focused on those viable methods. So. Yes, yes, in short, there are amazing methods out there, but there's also a lot of gaps and room for more to be created, and I think that needs to be a much higher priority. Wow, yeah. Like, um, this thing, like, especially here in New Zealand, we try and advertise ourselves as front runners in so many things, yet we are so behind in so many others. Um, how have you seen the universities and stuff change out here? Are, are there any that are starting to adopt these sort of... Um, new methods? Yeah, so it's very much a, a case by case sort of situation in New Zealand where we have some universities who are really 
people that are really open to change and um, you know making progressive changes to to help animals and then there are others who are really 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 stuck in their ways uh, I wouldn't say that there's a university in New Zealand that I would back 100% and say they are doing it perfectly the way it should be done um, but there are some universities that are better than others I mean Massey University has made some great changes for animals um, they rehome animals um, through NZABS and hoo-ha and they're the only university in New Zealand who have done that so um, to the industry that would be seen as brave actually you know talking to us and handing over these animals and letting us share with the world the faces of you know the, uh, what I see as the victims of this industry um, so, so Massey University have done that uh, four times now I think they've given us groups of animals to rehome and uh, I mean, it's telling that no other university has, right? And we've, we we do contact other universities and say, hey, we're here and we're willing to help. And, you know, I did that um, during lockdown um, because I was worried that, you know, a lot of animals would be needlessly euthanized because researchers couldn't get in. And I was I was all prepared to turn my house into, you know, a, a rat how um, a rat and mouse hotel, but yeah, none of the universities got back to me. So there was this real... Um, hesitancy there from a lot of universities to even engage with us or talk to us. Um, so yeah, on one hand you've got the likes of Massey and on the other you've got Otago University who are building a $50 million animal lab and are very stuck in their ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean we understand the, the existing or the previous building, you know, it's got blacked out windows. Um, which says a lot, you know, do you think this will be another design feature for the new and improved version? You know, is it a motive of the, uh, the animal research industry and their just sort of complete transparency, really? Yeah, 100%. Um, universities like Otago, they want, they want it to be kept behind closed doors because they know that the public would be outraged. I mean, it, it just speaks for itself. They blacken out their windows so we can't see in because they know that there would be uproar from Kiwis. I mean, if, if, if their laboratories were made with glass walls, they wouldn't do even 1% of what they're currently doing. They'd be too ashamed. So, yeah, I, I absolutely do think the new lab will be um, blocked off from the public and will have intense security and we won't get to know what goes on inside. It's crazy, isn't it? It's lucky you're raising awareness. I mean, I'm, I'm the mum of, of two adult sons in, in the country, and you know, one of them went to Massey University. But for me, as, as you know, um, that would be the difference to me with which university he went to. I'd be like, if I, you know, if it was a difference between Massey and Otago, which at one stage I was pushing for him to go to, um, I was like, yeah, no, no way, you're not going there. I don't want my kid going to a, a somewhere that tests like that so um you know it's, it's awesome what you guys do to raise awareness thank you we've actually heard that a lot from people um from parents and from students saying there's no way i'm studying there now because of the fact that they're building that new animal lab but, um i mean the industry itself is very secretive it, it's a it's a trend throughout the whole industry so it, it's it's part of what keeps it alive as well yeah so um, we went to Hoo-Ha, who you mentioned before, you know, helped um, with liberating some of these animals. And um, we actually got to see the rats there. And it was it was so um, it, it was crazy actually finally being able to see it because a lot of us vegans, we 
we know animal testing happens, but once again, it's a case of something that we don't really know about. It's not like we can go to a vigil and see it, you know. As you say, everything's hidden, everything's so secret. Um, it's, oh, I lost, I just, lost my I just wanted to that. cry when I saw them. I found it really confronting, you know. They, they sort of led us into this room and said, do you want to see the rats? And we're like, you've got rats here? And there was 50 that had just been you know, um, they were being rehabilitated and, and you could just see them, the relationships they had. Oh, it was, I just wanted to cry. I would have been a blubbing mess if the lady hadn't got out the vet nurse that was there. So, um, um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I suppose that um, what I was trying to get to was how, you know, like even for us as vegans, you know, we, we know it's happening, but we don't get to see it, you know. Um, it's that whole, I suppose it is the biggest problem that we face is that, idea that you know it doesn't happen here you know like we're not able to actually see it for the most part yeah yes i completely agree with that i think the lack of transparency is is a huge problem i mean a lot of a lot of kiwis don't even know that animals are still used for animal testing in here so um that is one of the hurdles i guess we face is trying to spread awareness and actually expose the fact that this still happens um but even more than that, I think the biggest hurdle we face is that that misconception that animal testing is a, a necessary evil. Uh, that, 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 I think, is our biggest hurdle um, because that's what people fiercely defend. Um, and that's, that's, to me, the thing that really keeps um, the social license for animal experimentation in New Zealand. So if we had um, a majority of the public openly knowing that animal testing is an ineffective way of helping people then I, I think it, it you know it wouldn't be long before we see an end yeah. I love what you said in uh, another interview where you're saying about we just need to take the necessity out of that sentence you know and then show you yeah, that this is evil yeah <laughs> it's simple it's a simple way to fix it just pluck that out and say it for what it truly is it's not and necessary evil it's just an evil it is and it's been going on for so long I mean I couldn't believe when we were you know researching into your work um like I said when I first went vegetarian when I was 13 it was because I heard about you know river section but one of the things that we um that I learned about um was the Dre's test which I understand is still going um can you give us some examples of, of the awful things that sort of you know I don't want to ask but at the same time people need to know you know what goes on behind closed doors there's there's the Dre's test and also the uh, the forced swim test that you've been campaigning really hard to put an end to? Yeah, so the way that we use animals for research testing and teaching in New Zealand, I mean, I still read cases regularly that make my mouth drop open. Um, and this is someone, I'm not new to it. I've been, I've been working for NZAVS for over five years, so you'd think I'd be, um, you know, desensitised to it. But no, I, I sometimes wonder how can you think of even doing that? Um, it's, it's just so bizarre so without depressing um, people too much because it's a heavy heavy topic but some of the examples would be the likes of um, yes the four swim test and dropping small animals like mice and rats into beakers of water and forcing them to swim uh, and then measuring how long they swim and float for to try and um, to try and say that it mimics human depression or despair-like behaviour. So that, that's one that we've got a big campaign on at the moment and we're trying to actually put a stop to that um, in New Zealand. But 
there is a huge hesitancy to actually create any kind of law to protect animals from having to endure that. So that's just one of many cases. Animals are used in, um, I think lambs have been put in freezers um, to mimic uh, winter and to induce hypothermia. Uh, rats have had their brains drilled into and implants attached. Um, Oh, that some of the some of the most awful things happen to animals who are deemed as pests. I really hate that word because I love possums and rats. Um, but some awful things happen with animals categorised under under pests um, for control purposes. So seeing what traps are effective and you know what what type of gas kills animals the most effectively. Um, you know piglets being killed to see what gas. Um, causes the least amount of pain. Um, it's just, yeah, I, I can see your faces. The, the list just goes on really with the types of things that we do. Um, yeah. How much do you want to know? <laughs> oh, it's, it's insane. Like you say, you know, how, how do people think of these things and what is the point of a test like the fourth swim test? Like, yeah, with that one. got nothing me, better to do. Like, what the hell? You, you really hope that they have some really brilliant intelligence and they're seeing something that we're not because when you describe it to me I'm kind of thinking these people must be absolute idiots or they're either savants you know with some it's ground scheme it's like you guys are causing depression by doing this stuff you know <laughs> people finding out about it. it's bloody depressing you know oh. yeah well it's widely known that you know it has no scientific value it, it doesn't predict what it is meant to so it, it is widely known so it's you shouldn't continue any longer there's no reason for it it's yeah. ridiculous. The image it conjures up in me is, you know, of, um, you know, cruel school kids, you know, who have found a frog and poking it with a stick, you know. It's kind of that, you know, a little kids club of, you know, being cruel because um, no one's taught them better. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's all still legal here. So all of these things happen and they're all approved by an animal ethics committee. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a process that's actually permitted all of these things to have happened and, I mean, one example I forgot to mention before that caused massive outrage recently was uh, we found an example, um, we found a publication, sorry, where dogs had been fed um, the bodies of poisoned possums to try and test secondary poisoning effects. So to see if, you know, if they would get any of the effects of the poison from eating their dead bodies. And um, the... I guess the extra shocking part about that is that the dogs were taken from a pound in Christchurch and then used in this experiment. So, um, yeah, that one was a real surpriser. I, I really didn't, I, I didn't, I was surprised to hear that we'd done that to dogs here. Yeah. I, um, you're saying that you read a lot of these things in reports and stuff like that. Is there actually somewhere where the, the public can read these reports? Or are they more um, buried in all sorts of different layers? So they're, they're very, um, they're not put out there in a way that's designed for the public to just be able to access them easily and read about what happens to animals. The way we find out about these publications is, is from hours and hours of research and just seeking them out and searching different keywords. And you've got to know the right places to look and where to look. And then there's not a lot of access, a lot of publications. You can only read the abstract. Um, so yeah, it is incredibly hard for the public to find this information out and we've recognised that as a massive problem. So um, what we're hoping to launch 
soon is, um, well, by soon I mean hopefully within the next six months if we can um, get all the work done, is a case study section where we actually compile all of this information and say, you know, this is what's done to cats, this is what's done to dogs, this is what's done to fish, and go through all the different species and just make it really um, easy for people to learn. Because I, I, And I think that will be such a powerful tool and are really exposing this industry that yeah, it will it's gonna have hundreds and hundreds of hours of work behind it. That'll be that'll be such a brilliant resource and um it's a shame that, you know, um from what I've heard going into any of these laboratories and stuff like that, you know, there's always so much paperwork, so much sort of red tape, uh mm. so you even get in and out. If only, you know, we could get folks in there and um I think I think documentaries have been classed as one of the most effective uh, forms of activism uh, just because you get such wide appeal. If only we could get a camera in one of these places, you know, uh, I think that would help to blow the, the doors wide open. Oh, there's, there's such a small chance of that ever happening. They, they, most labs have amazing security systems. They're very aware of organisations like us who want to know so desperately what happens inside. And, uh, you know, they don't want to give us that information. So... I mean, a great example of this is uh, the the kind of battle I'm in at the moment with the ombudsman because I've asked Victoria University to give me footage of um, the four swim tests being conducted under the Official Information Act uh, because they actually mentioned in one of their online publications that they took they took footage of it. Um, so we know the footage exists, and I've asked for a copy of it, and they've said no um, because they think that would, you know, endanger staff or tar tarnish their reputation or something along those lines. And so I've, you know, approached the ombudsman and made a complaint and say this isn't good enough. And it's actually been a year now that I've been waiting for the ombudsman to try and get this footage for us. So I, I think it's going to be an ongoing battle to try and get just one small video out so that we can show the public and yeah, they, they don't want they don't want this stuff coming out and it shows when you ask for it. Oh, exactly. And I mean, the bits is I, I do I do remember now hearing the about the the pound dogs, and I can't believe that. Like, you know, haven't they suffered enough? Like, oh, just just you know, these guys don't matter. You know, they're going to be put down anyway. I mean, it's just hideous. Stop the podcast. We'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to one of our partners, the NZAVS, the New Zealand Anti Vivisection Society. NZAVS is New Zealand's primary charity defending animals used in science. Their mission is to end animal experimentation and the harmful use of animals for research, testing and teaching. Follow them to keep up with their tireless work in game-changing campaigns for the animals at nzavs.org.nz. Now back to the podcast. I mean, many of us see petitions uh, come up regularly on Facebook and, and Instagram and, and other media. And in fact, it was a, a petition that I, I signed three years ago that demanded a, an end to pig farrowing crates. Um, which actually made me go vegan on the spot once I clicked into the petition, saw what happened to pigs in our own country. Um, you know, that, that was it. That was me done. So um, it was effective for me personally, obviously in a big way. And we always sign petitions like these. But, you know, we can't help wondering how effective are our signatures beyond that? You know, how do these petitions help to instigate change? I think petitions are such a powerful tool when they're used in the right way. And they can be used, um, so for organisations like us, 
where we're a small team, we rely on the public heavily to, to amplify our voice and to really stand up for animals. So when it's just a small team of us going into parliament and presenting to the select committee, to be able to have that powerful figure of saying, you know, 15,000, 20,000 people are actually backing us. And although they're not in this room, they are supporting us. It is powerful. And that's the kind of thing that is leverage for creating change. So I know that there are a lot of petitions out there and it can seem, you know, tiresome, just click, click, click. Oh, that's achieved nothing. But I mean, I can only speak for our petitions and every petition we put out has a purpose and um, we would we use those figures as much as we possibly can. And the higher that number is, the, the more of an impact we can have. So I mean, just imagine if we went to Parliament and said, oh, we've got a petition. 500,000 people have said no to the forced swim test. Like, that is huge. That is powerful. So, you know, don't underestimate your power as an individual when it comes to things like petitions because together our, our voice is so powerful and so strong. Awesome. That's good to know. Thank you. <laughs> um, so this, sorry. It's <laughs> <Your question. laughs> my question. I didn't realise. Uh, so this series is um, it's designed to inspire people to become more active in um, helping the animals and putting an end to, to all kinds of cruelty. How can our viewers avoid supporting animal testing? So, um, for example, you know, I was really shocked to learn that for years I'd been purchasing from the body shop thinking that, you know, I was doing a good thing, cruelty free. Um, and then I found that they were actually owned for a long time by L'Oreal who, you know, are anything but. So that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, are there any other telltale signs, you know, to look for when, when we read up about these companies to make sure that we are, you know, investing in the right places? Well, the good news is that the body shop is no longer owned by L'Oreal and they're owned by a cruelty-free parent company. So you can feel better about purchasing those products now. Um, but, so just recently, we actually launched a cruelty-free guide where um, this looks and feels like an app and we're hoping to develop it into an app soon. But that actually lists the companies that meet our really strict criteria. So any company featured in our guide isn't affiliated with animal testing in any way, and they have to um, they have to produce at least some vegan products, and the vegan products are what we promote. So we have a list of vegan products that people can see for all of the companies that aren't fully vegan. Yeah. You know, of course, it's important to us that not only do we, you know, promote the cruelty-free aspect in terms of animal testing, but that we're promoting products that aren't affiliated with the exploitation of animals at all. So um, there's that, which is a great resource. Um, you can also avoid uh, avoid donating to charities that fund animal testing. And one of the easiest ways to find out is to simply ask and say, if I donate to you, can, can it be guaranteed that this money won't go towards animal testing? Uh, you can make sure your KiwiSaver isn't invested in animal testing. A lot of the main ones are, but KiwiSaver is a great one to switch to, and they are, they don't invest in animal testing. Um, so, yeah, you can shop ethically um, and ensure that your KiwiSaver isn't invested. You can also, I think, I, I personally think one of the most effective ways to create change for animals in lab is by uh, becoming part of NZAVS, you know, join NZAVS, sign up on um, our mailing list so that you can get all of the updates and so that you know how to take action and follow us on social media um, and all those kind of things so that as soon as we have a, a campaign out there, you can jump on board and be a part of it. 
Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, you guys are always so busy. You're always, you know, you do such a great job of, of keeping us informed with campaigns and things like that, like you say, via email. And I love, I love the new cruelty-free guide. It looks amazing. And already, you know, I know it's going to help a whole lot of people because so many people don't even realize that you have a choice. I mean, my, my mum, bless her, she's a classic example recently. We're at the, I was visiting my mum. We were at the supermarket together. She's, she's 78, bless her. And we were going around and, um, I said I need to get some shampoo so she was looking I said no 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 you need one with the rabbit on and she said what do you mean what, what's the rabbit for and I said well that means it's cruelty free it's not tested on animals and she said they test on animals I said yeah that's cruel we don't want that we want and so she started going through everything the dishwashing powder you know the washing powder and she'd be be yelling at me across the supermarket oh Jack this one's got a bunny on it so, <laughs> so you know it's never too late to learn and I'm, I'm definitely going to be telling her about that so it's, it's a brilliant resource for sure <laughs> Oh, she is like the perfect person, really. Like as soon as she learns, she wants to change. So that's, that's amazing. Absolutely. There's um, something I also I heard, um, I think it was in another interview, and it was about how companies who then sell to China, I think there's a, the mandatory um, animal testing over there. So something else to look out for was, um, I can't remember how you put it, but um, there's a way of telling that if they sell to China or if they – they might animal test, but in other countries. Yeah, they'll say something like, "Oh, we're we're anti-animal testing, except when required by law." And so they'll they'll flip it off onto China. But what that really means, and how I interpret that, is we're not actually against animal testing. You know, we still support and fund animal testing to sell our products in a wider market. So there are amazing companies that don't do that, like Lush. They refuse to sell. Um, via that method because they are properly against animal testing. It's not just a PR stunt like the likes of L'Oreal. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, because that's um, yeah. When when I found out that, I thought that was brilliant because yeah, so often you you read the blurb of a company and you usually get yeah sidetracked by them by <laughs> them sort of hushing you down a bit. They're very clever at doing that. It's like cruelty-free washing. You know, they'll just they could even just put we don't like animal testing on the bottle. That doesn't mean anything. That's just there to to trick us as consumers to think that they're genuinely cruelty-free. And I guess that was one of the inspirations into creating our cruelty-free guide was that there's so many little tricks that we know to ensure that a company is 100% free from any sort of um, affiliation with animal testing, and we wanted to share that with people. Yeah. It reminds me of the, the low-fat cornflakes thing, you know. There's no fat in them anyway, so... <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so we've identified through this sort of talk, you know, how well needless and unnecessary, you know, the animal testing is for the most part. Um, so how can we go about creating that systematic change? And are there other um, branches of AVS around the world that you know of or other organizations that people, um, say, in the States or in Europe might be able to get part of? Yes, yeah, so we want to make change like right at the core of the problem and and what we're working on at the moment is developing a striking at the source campaign where we, um, it hasn't been publicly launched yet, but we're doing a lot of behind the scenes work and it will, it will all be focused on making sure that funding is allocated in the right way. So we want to actually shift money around so that the money is being invested in the right ways. And we want to target, um, important, you know, key documents and even regulations or legislation that, uh, 
perpetuating the ongoing use of animals. So, you know, we we look at it in a um, in a very kind of holistic way, I guess, where we want to get right to the to the core of it and end those problems. So we're not just being an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff sort of thing. So um, we do. Um, most of our, well, all of our work is targeting either, you know, public education or, um, you can hear my dog, can't you? Hi, dog. She wants attention. Um, so, yeah, all of our work is focused on three main areas. It's either um, targeting legislation and outdated laws or public awareness or the industry itself and creating change within the industry. So, yes, um, that is She's distracting me. <laughs> no you can let her in if you um, need to. Um, but yeah, so yeah, focusing on that full system changes is definitely on our radar. And then when it comes to other like-minded organisations like us, there are so many around the world, and um, I'm a big fan of collaborating. So um, the likes of Humane Research Australia, we've done a lot of work with them. Um, Animal Justice Project in the UK, Humane Society in national and you know they're worldwide there there are so many groups out there that are working to end animal experimentation and yeah so it's a basic google away from finding out the closest one to you if you're not based in new zealand but yeah they're out there and um yeah i have a lot of admiration and respect for, for all of them that sounds awesome what you're doing you know it's another great project to to look out for hello puppy um <laughs> We've just we just had a four-legged friend join us, um, but yeah, we, we've had the um, you know the cruelty-free guide, which like you say is fantastic. It, it looks you know just like an app, um, and you've also recently released some of the um, the guides to vegan, which are, are brilliant. Um, there's one a guide to Wellington, um, there's Auckland, there's Tauranga, um, which are brilliant for Kiwis, you know. But all of these must have been a huge undertaking. You, you guys are always so busy, and you've done such a fantastic job. Um, what were your reasons for compiling these guides and how can they make life easier for both vegans and, you know, others just keen to live a more cruelty-free lifestyle? Yeah, so the the inspiration for both, I guess, is just wanting to make the bridge between supporting brands that conduct animal testing and buying cruelty-free as easy as possible. So with the, the cruelty-free guide, it's like what I said earlier, I wanted to make sure that people knew the company that were genuinely cruelty free because there are so many companies out there who uh, are very skilled at tricking consumers into thinking they're cruelty free. Um, so yeah, we the motivation for the cruelty free guide also comes um, from wanting to to help um, the sorry. No My foot and it's distracting. Um, <laughs> dog dog mum life. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say there, but the um, a guide to vegan is, is separate from my work at Yins at ABS. A guide to vegan is just something that I do in my spare time, and it does it does take a lot of effort, and I, it's pretty much um, what I would consider my my hobby. <laughs> so that's what I do on the evenings and the weekends. And my motivation there is to make veganism as easy as possible for Kiwis. So I want to get rid of that whole, um, oh, being vegan's hard. No, it's not. Like, you already probably eat 70% vegan without even realising it. So it's, you know, that real, um, 
that real basic stuff of knowing that potato chips, a lot of them are vegan and a lot of biscuits are vegan and just trying to make it as mainstream as possible. And um, so on a guide to vegan, I don't focus on the, the why really. I just focus on the how um, and, and just try and make it a really fun, engaging, safe place for people to learn. Yeah, that's brilliant. Well, it's come up quite a few times in this series so far about, you know, trying to make it as easy as possible for people in the first instance, you know, because then hopefully they'll go on to get the, the cruelty free um, um, app sort of um, page afterwards, you know, hopefully yeah. if we if we can entice them in with the food, you know, that, that that's one, one step in. But, yeah. um, what other project um, NZAVS have done was the six foot rats, which um, is a brilliant um, kids book. Uh, it was written and illustrated by Rebecca Gibbs. Is that right? Yeah. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the importance of um, yeah teach, teaching the young'uns about um, well teaching them about what goes on in these labs and um, yeah the, the sort of approach that we go about it to um, yeah get more so young. Yeah, so animal testing is such a, a sensitive topic that when you try and teach children about it, um, it becomes quite difficult because we don't. We don't want to give kids nightmares, um, but we do want to teach them about, you know, the truth and what happens to animals um, in the hopes that, you know, once they learn, they'll care. And um, that's why we decided to, to educate children in, in a fun and very light manner. And that's why we created the, the children's book. And it's just like a, um, it's a colourful, beautifully illustrated book that rhymes, that plays off the fact that humans aren't six foot rats so why do we use them um, and it plays on the some story where a rat thinks that he's being tested on for this amazing noble purpose that he's helping giant rats um, find cures and treatments Oksana please stop it honey um, but then he so then the rat finds out that he's actually being tested on for humans and he thinks it's bizarre and says, no, I've had enough and wants to leave the lab. So it's, it's just a really soft way to try and introduce mm -hmm. kids to this really complex issue. I mean, you don't want to sit down with a bunch of children and say, hey, did you know that over 95% of the drugs that work? In, like, you don't want to go down that route. So we chose a beautiful book instead. And I think it's really important that we reach out to children because they are... Uh, they're our future, they're our future leaders, and they'll set the tone for what's acceptable in the future, and um, they will determine what practices have social licenses and what don't. So um, the hope is that if we can educate them early on, that we can help stop that misconception that animal testing is a necessary evil, because they will already know something about it um, before being blindly taught that. Yeah, definitely. It's such a great concept and great approach. Yeah, I'd love to see it. It's um, yeah, it's so it's so great to teach them early on. You know that this is something we shouldn't be supporting. We shouldn't just you know take it face value. I mean, you've been involved in so many huge projects on behalf of the animals, even in your spare time, like you say. Um, out of everything, what would be your greatest triumph or your you know your your favorite success story? Um. For me personally, there was something really special that happened that was like a, a full circle moment in my life. Um, so when I was at university, 
at Massey, um, I took a paper where we had to design a research project and it had to involve animals. And so, so I chose to do mine with mice and enriching their environment. So it was basically my way of making it so that I could give mice um, some cool toys and bedding. <laughs> um, so that was my research project. And during this time, uh, I became very fond of the wee mice, um, as anyone would. They're so cute. And at the end of the project, I just asked a simple question. I wanted to rehome the mice. And they said no. And then, you know, I found out that all of the mice were going to actually get gassed and killed at the end. And so then I wanted to rehome all of them. And they said no, they couldn't for X, Y, Z. And there were apparently all these rules in place preventing it from happening. And one of them was that they couldn't risk the mice getting out in the public. And I said, well, fine, I'll keep every single one of them myself. And I'll keep them all until they die of old age. But no. They still said no, and it turned into this awful sort of um, argument where I ended up getting told that if they noticed that any of the mice were missing, they'd know it was me, and there would be um, there would be backlash. And it wasn't wrong of them to say that because I was I was thinking about stealing the mice, so you know, fair enough that they would say that. But anyway, long story short, I didn't get to save the mice; they were all gassed and killed, and it was. So traumatic for me. Um, I, I felt like I had failed the mice and um, I had no power to do anything about it. So years later, I'm now working at NZABS and this only happened um, within the past year. Uh, we've been working with Massey University and rehoming um, mice and rats. And uh, we, the first group of animals that we actually rehomed, Oksana, the first group of animals that we actually rehomed was a group of mice that were used and this Oksana. I'm just going to open the door. Right. <laughs> oh, she's really not being nice to her mother. <laughs> um, so, yeah, where was I? Messy University. The first group they just rehomed. Oh, so, yeah, um, one of the one of the groups of animals that Messi rehomed um, was actually mice who were used in the exact same paper that I took back in university where I didn't get to rehome them. So from that point on, mice were no longer going to be killed at the end. They were going to be rehomed, which was this, this beautiful moment in itself. But then it went a step further and that Messi actually replaced the use of mice altogether in that paper. So now every year from now on, mice aren't being bred and killed continuously um, because there's a a replacement method in place and um, that yeah it was a really um, kind of weird poetic moment for me where it was like at one point I had no power and couldn't do anything and they said no and then I came back a few years later and said hey I'm back again <laughs> and you know it, it was a bit of time where we could actually make some change and we've got you know thousands of NZABS supporters who give us this powerful voice to create change for animals um, so you know I came back equipped with them and them by my side, even though you can't see them, I, I feel like there's that force always there. And um, yeah, we created change and stopped those animals from having to suffer in the future. So it was, I'm so proud of that, and I'm um, so proud of NZABS for making that happen and all of our, all of our supporters. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. Like, so good on you. Like, um, I suppose you know, for all of us, um, 
we're aiming for like a vegan world, but you know, even having these these battles are won, you know, it, it's a huge triumph, you know, and it's mm-hmm. it's all showing that we're getting closer and closer as time goes on, and yeah, hopefully it'll yeah. be the, the next test we can stop as well and save even more. Yeah, definitely. It's like it's like chipping away, and I mean, for us, it's a small win, but for those mice, it is their whole life. You know, they've got a, a great life ahead of them now, where they get treats and toys that you know and not even just as part of a research project that's the rest of their life now so it yeah it's it's amazing and I think also one of the the funniest parts about it was that when I went back um to pick up the mice this the same staff member was there from when I was at university and I said hi I was like oh you probably won't remember me and she was like yes hi I do I was like oh that's so awkward you don't like me at all do you I caused a little bit of a ruckus, um, which actually Mike Joy knows about because I went and I went and um, confided in him a few times about how desperately I wanted to rehome these mice. So, yeah, there's a, a few full circle moments here. Brilliant! I love that. Awesome. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I love, you know, we. I'd never had much to do with with you know mice or rats before, and so when we went to Hoo-Ha and they said, you know, did you want to see them? I was like, mm, okay, <laughs> um, you know, because I'd always not been squeamish, you know, but yeah, there's always that perception that rats are so horrible. Well, I suppose it goes back to you know the days of the Black Plague where rats were the, the the play carriers and stuff you know yeah. now now it's humans with um, the current situation but yeah. you know like they're so cute and cuddly like those, yeah. those rats especially um how, with the white fur and stuff like that you know it, it's sad to see them you know have been bred that way but it was just um oh i just wanted to cuddle them <laughs> yeah definitely and the wonderful thing was when we were there um you know there was 50 of them and they who have said you know these have all got homes we're just you know we're rehabilitating them so it wasn't a case of like oh these rats are here what's going to happen to them you know they they all had homes already they're they're in demand because they make such loving pets so I mean it's wonderful yeah I mean we've got a wait list of um like a database of people who want to rehome animals that have been used for research testing and teaching purposes so there's a lot of people out there who who want to rehome not just rats and mice but dogs and cats and you know, there's people saying, oh, we'd love to rehome like a, a lizard. Or There's just so many people out there who would love to rehome these animals. It's just a matter of getting them out. Awesome. Oh, well, no, it's, a, you know, it's we just admire your work so much and thank you so much. Hey, I've got to ask, just checking out your website and um, I, I need to join something. What is the Animal Defender Squad? Uh, so our Animal Defender Squad is, this, is a relatively new program where um, we're asking people to become regular givers. So people who donate regularly to NZA the year to become part of our animal defender squad. And one of the reasons, (laughs) 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 the the main reason really that that's important is that NZA the year needs to exist long-term in order to end animal experimentation. I mean, we're we're the primary organization defending animals used in science. And if we didn't exist, there would be a massive hole and, um, I would hate to think what would happen um, to animals and for animals. So what we need is to exist long enough, and the way that that will happen is from um, financial security, and regular givers give that. I mean, they regular givers make it so that we can plan more effectively. You know, we, can, we don't have to worry about will we be here next year because we have this group of animal defenders ensuring that we are. So mm-hmm. yeah, they're our... Um, they're our 
what's the word? They're like the core of our force, really. You know, we, we see ourselves as a force to be reckoned with and our regular givers, our animal defender squads are right there in the middle. It's awesome. It's a great form of um, of activism as well, isn't it? I mean, we know quite a few people who they really want to help the animals, but you know, they're not, they don't, you know, perhaps they're not brave enough. They don't feel brave enough to sort of be out protesting, or um, or you know, maybe they're just not able. Their situation just, you know, but a lot of them make donations to well wherever they want to you know um yeah. some might give you know a, a bit here and a bit there and and that's what they do and it's a, it's such a great form of activism and it's so valuable and they're still doing something for the animals which is, is fantastic 100 percent. so we have people who are just you know too busy and they just want to donate or um to be honest i don't even think it's a matter of you know you donate because you can't do anything else donating in itself does so much i mean the NZAVS team, we're the ones who are equipped with the knowledge and the skills and all the experience to go about doing this work. The thing we rely on is resources, and if you can help us get those and keep that you know, machine ch chugging along to help end animal experimentation, then that's amazing. I don't think it's a matter of um, that's something you do if you can't do something else. That's an amazing thing that you can do if you can do it. And we've got people who... Um, you know, give give a dollar a month or give twenty bucks a month, and but whatever they give is is so appreciated and valued, and we use that the best way we possibly can for animals. One of the the most important lessons I think my mum told uh, taught me as a kid was, you know, always vote with your wallet. You know, it, it, throughout everything, you know, you always vote with your wallet. You know, what you're spending your dollars on is what you're contributing towards and um yeah hopefully people are going to vote for the animals um with schemes like this one you know um are there any other projects or anything like that you want to mention whilst we got you here um so we've talked a bit about animal agriculture and how it's you know a huge driving force of the animal testing industry in new zealand and some people might be wondering what we're doing about that so one project I do want to mention is um, a future animal agriculture campaign that we are in the developing stages of now. So we, um, the problem with this industry is you don't just have all the information accessible when you want it. So at the moment, we're doing a lot of research into exactly how you know, cows, pigs, chickens, how they're all used so that we have the full picture so we can plan exactly how to end it. Um, but what this future campaign will be um, based on is what you just said about you know having a voice with your money and will be you know advocating to boycott animal products because that is you know the most effective way of, of ending the testing done for that industry so this campaign is in the works at the moment and I'm I don't know when it's going to be launching because we've just got 101 million things to do but it is it's a campaign that I'm so excited to launch. Um, obviously, it's an issue very close to my heart. And um, I, yeah, I'm going to be very proud when it's out there. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that as an exciting future campaign to look forward to. Thank you for listening to this interview. We hope you found it informative and entertaining. To learn more about Tara's work, be sure to check out the NZAVS website. Once again, be sure to follow us on our social media platforms for future episodes. This has been Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals.